You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Thank you, my friend. It's going to carry me through. Um, My name is Jamin Roller. I am one of the lead pastors here at Citizens Church. If you are visiting us this morning, we are so thrilled that you chose uh, to worship with us, even though uh, worshiping at church right now is uh, unusual because of the strange times that we live in. I know uh, many of you may be watching at home. Our, our registration filled up uh, pretty early this week, so I want you to know we're only a couple weeks away from adding back our 9 a.m. service to make space. So yeah, <laughs> praise God for that. More on that in a minute. If you'll turn with me to First Peter chapter 5, we'll be in wor- verses 1 through 5 this morning. First Peter 5. Verses 1 through 5. Our service this morning is all about uh, Jesus. And in that, it's about welcoming um, and commissioning two new elders here at Citizens Church, uh, Michael Bleeker and Kevin Evans. Uh, These two men are the first to come on as elders at Citizens Church. And and here's what I mean by that. Uh, If you're new here and you don't know our story, we used to be a campus of the Village Church. And about a year ago, almost a year ago, we were commissioned by the Village Church to become uh, our own autonomous church. And so we changed our name to Citizens Church. And now these two men, Michael and Kevin, uh, are the first to come on as elders since that change. And so this morning, uh, the service is devoted towards uh, commissioning them and in that reminding us what the Bible teaches about elders and, and why we even have elders. So what that will look like is this morning, I will preach for about uh, 20 minutes, don't laugh, uh, and then uh, they will come and Michael and Kevin will share uh, their story, and then Adam uh, will come and uh, commission them to serve this church. So that's where we're going. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we're going to answer two questions in our 20 minutes that I've got. Uh, why do we have elders, and what does an elder do? So I want to see from God's Word, why do we have elders, and what does an elder do? Verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves with all humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so why do we have elders? The short answer to that question is that we see throughout the New Testament, the Bible appoints spiritual leadership over the church and then gives spiritual leadership and spiritual authority uh, to those leaders. And that role is called elder. It's also called pastor. There's a few other words that are interchangeable. So the short answer is we have elders because the Bible tells us to have elders. Uh, Beyond that, just to kind of uh, dig into what that means for us, uh, we believe the Bible teaches the role of elder is two things. It is local and it is shared. It's local and it's shared. So even in this passage, Paul says, I exhort the elders among you. And you see both of those realities, that that the leadership is local and it's shared. So it's elders, not elder, meaning it's plural and shared. And then it says among you, meaning it's local. It's it's, um, 
those who lead among the people to which they belong. And so maybe some of you grew up a church where the spiritual leadership was not local, it was more removed. It was a, it was a spiritual hierarchy, right? So uh, if you grew up Catholic, that's the Pope. Maybe you grew up Anglican, there's a bishop. And what that means is the highest level of spiritual authority in a congregation like that is actually not part of the local congregation. So there can be decisions made that affect the local congregation by people who are not part of that local congregation. Uh, or some, maybe you're familiar with churches where the leadership is singular. It's not shared. It's one guy. Uh, and that man operates as president and CEO of the church. And maybe he has a board of advisors. But ultimately, in that church, the buck stops with him, right? So leadership is not shared. It's singular. What we believe the Bible teaches about elders is that they are those who have been given spiritual leadership and spiritual authority over a congregation. And that is two things. It's local and it's shared. Local meaning every elder here at Citizens Church is first a member of Citizens Church. Uh, we offer leadership over the church to which we belong. We take communion here. Our kids are baptized here. We live here. No other pastor or spiritual leader from another church has any authority here. We submit to Jesus. We submit to God's word as inspired, infallible, and sufficient for all of life. And we serve as men who have been qualified and called and affirmed by a local congregation for that local congregation. Also, the leadership is not singular, it's shared. So I can use myself as an example. Uh, I am lead teaching pastor here at Citizens Church. I am one of the elders at Citizens Church. Most of the time when you come to service here, you'll hear me preach. I probably preach anywhere from 40 to 45 times a year here. And that makes me, for many people, the most visible leader at our church, but I am not the leader at our church. I am one of a plurality of spiritual leaders because it's in a council of voices that wisdom is found, the Bible says. Uh, no one man has all of the gifts or all of the experience or all of the insight needed to lead the people of God. It's shared leadership. So Citizens Church is an elder-led church, meaning spiritual leadership here is local and it's shared. And that's different than other denominations. That's different than the way that other churches do it. I am not saying I know for sure that they are wrong. I'm just saying I know for sure that we are right. And that's how it fleshes out here. Okay, what does an elder do? The more important question I want to answer, what does an elder do? It says in this passage in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. An elder shepherds God's people. There is a leadership that an elder offers, and it is defined as shepherd leadership. Hear me, friends, this is important. Uh, it describes what shepherd leadership is in this passage, and maybe even as important, if not more, it describes what it's not. And here's why that's so important. We are surrounded right now by abuses of authority. It feels like there's a new scandal every week about a faith leader who misused their authority or a faith leader who misrepresented themselves. In fact, I know many of your stories in the room and many of you have been failed in ways by spiritual leaders. Uh, I know many of you have church hurt in your past that's maybe tied to a misuse of spiritual authority. And so I know about this conversation that it's sensitive. It's a sensitive conversation. Also, we live in a highly individualized age. Expressive individualism rules the day. And so because of that, many bristle at the idea that anyone is in charge of anything. 
and especially bristle at the idea that anyone has any leadership over anyone else. And so for some reasons deserved and some not deserved, there's a general cynicism out there towards organized religion, maybe even in here, uh, and a general cynicism towards maybe religious leaders or faith leaders or pastors. And so that's our climate. And it's a mix of all different kinds of tensions and experiences. And so how are we to feel about spiritual authority? And as Christians, we remember our beliefs are not formed by the atmosphere of the culture, but by the Word of God. So see this with me. The Bible is not anti-authority. What the Bible is going to do around the conversation of authority is it's going to agree with those who are hurt by authority, and then it's going to uh, offer instead a better picture of what a leader should look like and a better picture of what authority should look like. So the Bible is anti-abusive authority. It is anti-corrupt authority. It is anti-passive authority, but it is for righteous authority. And in the church, those who lead the church are to be a righteous shepherd leader that leads with a humble, godly authority that represents God. And so in this passage, it says a shepherd leader is, there's two things a shepherd leader is not. There's two things an elder is not. An elder is not duplicitous. It says, don't lead under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, meaning there is no ulterior motive for those who lead in the church of God. They're not after power, not after money, not trying to appease a guilty conscience, not trying to build a resume, not trying to make a name for myself. I'm not using position in the church to try to chase the American dream. An elder is an elder, a shepherd is a shepherd for no other reason than this, love for Jesus and love for his people. We're in the letter of 1 Peter. It was written, spoiler alert, by a guy named Peter, and his story is really familiar to many of us. And he learned this lesson about not leading from a duplicitous heart, but leading from a sincere heart, leading out of love for Jesus. He learned this lesson in a really difficult but really beautiful way. Uh, Peter was the first elder of the church. Peter was Jesus' best friend. Jesus, or Peter was Jesus, one of his closest disciples. And after Jesus dies and rises again, he has a really important conversation with Peter uh, where he is commissioned into ministry. And it happens in a conversation with Jesus on the lake around a charcoal fire. And here's why that's significant. Just a few weeks, maybe even a few days before Peter, uh, just a few weeks or a few days before, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And that denial had happened, according to the Bible, around a charcoal fire. He was asked, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And Peter says, no, I don't know him. And that happened three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And then Jesus is crucified. He comes back to life and he meets Peter back by a charcoal fire. In the setting of his denial, and to the man who denied him three times, Jesus asked the same question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And every time Peter says, yes, you know I love you. And after every yes, Jesus says this, shepherd my people. Do you love me, Peter? Jesus, you know I love you. Then shepherd my people, Jesus says. Every single time the question ends, there's a charge for him to shepherd. So he receives what happens. It's just so beautiful. The setting of his denial became the scene of his restoration, both to relationship with Jesus and restored ministry to the people of God, motivated by what? By love. 
That was the point of the conversation, motivated by a love for Jesus. Peter, do you love me? And then motivated by a love because of the love he received from Jesus, a love for his people. He had received the scandalous love from Jesus that covers even betrayal, and then out of that love is commissioned to love the church. The elder is a shepherd who leads because of love, not because of greed, not because of insecurity, not because of pride, but because of love. Friends, there is a direct connection between love for Jesus and love for his people. So this isn't the point of this morning, but it's worth saying this. You cannot love Jesus and hate his church. You can't. You cannot love Jesus and be apathetic towards his church. Your relationship with Jesus, whoever you are, your relationship with Jesus is personal, but it is not private. To love him is to belong to him and to his church, to belong to a local physical people, a local physical body of believers so that you can be known, so that you can serve, so that you can be led. And there's a growing uh, concern in my heart that in uh, our digital world where we can consume sermons and we can consume studies and conversations from all kinds of preachers and all kinds of teachers on all different kinds of platforms, praise God for that. That is a wonderful supplemental resource to the people of God. Listen to all that you can, absorb all that you can, but if your consumption of church life is only one-sided, if you only take in but never pour out, if you know a lot but you are never known, you are missing the beauty of what our Lord has for you in being part of the people of God. I know I'm preaching to the choir as a people who are here or watching now, but love for Jesus means love for his people, for everyone. For every Christian, that love will drive us to belong to a local people. For some, that love drives us to lead a local people. Those who are elders desire to lead out of love, and that's what makes them a shepherd. They are sincere. In fact, I can tell you this, what I most respect about the two men coming to serve this church as elders today, Michael and Kevin, what I most respect about them is how evident their love for God's people is. It just pours out of their life. I know it's not, but it's almost as if it's effortless, which is frustrating for me. So elders are not uh, duplicitous. They're also not domineering. It says this, that they aren't to overpower, uh, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to you, the flock. Elders are not harsh. Elders are not proud. They do not lead with a heavy hand and an iron fist. They are gentle. In fact, what it says, what's their strength? The strength of an elder uh, is their example. It says not domineering, but by being examples. One commentator said it this way, elders are not oppressors, elders are examples. The strength of their leadership is their exemplary life, their character. The greatest contribution an elder makes in leading the church is offering to the church a life of character and virtue and holiness. If you read the qualifications for elder in the New Testament, it is overwhelmingly about character, not about talent and not about gifts. Self-controlled, sober, respectable, gentle, above accusation, not a lover of money, leads his home well. Reminds me of what we said last week in concluding the book of Colossians. Life in Christ is not about accomplishing something, but about becoming someone, becoming like Jesus. Elders of the church are to be models of that kind of life, imperfect but faithful. So we sin, but when we sin, 
We agree with God about our sin, we confess to others, and we receive the grace of the gospel. It's a personal holiness. The, the godliness in the life of an elder is the godliness that does not come from trying harder. It's the godliness that comes from a humble reception of grace over and over and over again. The confidence is in God's grace. An elder grows in righteousness, not by believing as a leader that I am immune to sin, but a constant, humble acknowledgement that I am in as much need for grace as anyone else and offering that humble life as an example to the church. So a shepherd is not duplicitous. A shepherd is not domineering. They are sincere and they are godly. And ultimately, they just want to offer in their life an imperfect picture of Jesus. Verse four says this, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. As an elder of our church, what shouts off the page to me, is not that there's a crown of glory coming, but that the chief shepherd is coming. Think about that title, the chief shepherd. And what that communicates, so I am a shepherd, the men introduced to you this morning, they are shepherd, but we are not the point. Not the point. This is not about us. There is one who is the chief shepherd. There is one who is the chief elder. There is one who will never fail you. There is one who loves you, and it's Jesus. And he shepherds this church. He is the chief shepherd of this church. And the shepherds of Citizens Church, myself and our other elders, long for you more than anything to know the chief shepherd, long for you to know Jesus, long for you to follow him and to celebrate him and to offer in our lives to this church the singular goal that together we would know him and that in our imperfect leadership, you would see him and be led by him and be led to him. And so let me describe quickly what that looks like. Prayer provision, protection, and presence. I had to work some alliteration here or it wouldn't count as a sermon. Prayer, provision, protection, and presence. An elder prays. Church, um, we pray for you by name. Um, so many of you, we know your hurts and we know what you are asking God for. And as elders, we want to ask him for those things with you, whether you know it or not. Right now, we're working through the prayer request that you sent in through the survey, those of you who completed that, because we want, as elders, to shepherd. And part of that shepherding, if not most of that shepherding, is talking to God about you because we love you. Provision. This is mostly through God's word. Anytime an elder stands here and preaches God's word to you, they are providing for you, providing nourishment for your soul, providing the words that you need. And not every single one of those sermons is gonna be the meal that you remember all of your life, but it's going to be the daily sustenance you need to continue walking with God and continue following Jesus. It's also provision for physical needs stewarding the physical resources of our church. For instance, during COVID, we gave out close to $50,000 to help people in and around our church who've been affected financially because shepherds provide. And we wanna care for those among us and care for those around us. It's protection. It's protection from two things. It's protection from false teaching and from false stories. In a world that is changing, we are inundated with all kinds of messages and inundated with all kinds of stories and all kinds of false gospels. And we, as the people of God, have a historic faith. And we have historic creeds. And we have doctrine that has withstood the test of time. And we will, I promise you, we will never abandon the faith in theology handed down to us from the apostles through God's word. Never. God is a trinity. 
Salvation is in Jesus exclusively. Everything listed on our statement of faith, we will hold those truths unwaveringly even if the day comes when we're the only ones left who believe it. We will not abandon it. Also, we protect our church from ourselves and protect you from yourself. We want to be honest with you, be honest with ourselves. We want to together fight sin around us and fight sin in us. And in, in, in loving you and loving our church and loving one another means if you pursue a life of sin, we will pursue you in love and remind you over and again and invite you over and again to taste and see that the Lord is good and remind you over and again that everything else that's not Jesus will turn to ash in your mouth and you will experience the pain of the empty promises that sin will try to seduce in all of our lives. We will protect. And then lastly, presence. This is the one that I, I feel um, maybe most emotionally connected to. Elders are an empathetic presence with the church. Romans 12 says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, I have a friend, uh, he's a pastor and he has a quote about ministry that I love. He says this, ministry is beautiful and painful. To be in it with the right people doubles the beauty and divides the pain. Ministry is beautiful and painful and to be in it with the right people doubles the beauty and divides the pain. And it's so true. It, that is so true about ministry. And that is also so true about life. Life is beautiful and life is painful. And when you walk through life with the right people, it doubles the beauty and it divides the pain. I and the other elders here want Citizens Church to be a place where we live with one another in such a way where beauty is doubled and pain is divided because we are present with one another. We want to lead out in that by being present in your sorrow and in your celebration and being present in your weeping and in your rejoicing and being present with you in your beauty and in your pain. And we have been imperfect in this, but it is a hope that we have that we do not want to waver from. And so what that means is that we've, uh, we've grieved with you when you've lost your parents and we've grieved with you and still do when you've lost your children. And we've rejoiced with you when after years of trying you finally conceive. And we have grieved with you when you've been overwhelmed by your own sin or when you've been overwhelmed by the sin committed against you. And we rejoice with you when you've repented and we've rejoiced with you when relationships have been restored. We have wept with you when you got the diagnosis and rejoiced with you when you went into remission. Life is beauty and life is pain. And we wanna be present as a people together in such a way that beauty is doubled and pain is divided. There are two men joining the leadership of Citizens Church as shepherd leaders this morning, as elders that reflect the picture that the Bible has offered for us, that out of love for Jesus, as an example to you, these men are committing to the work of prayer, provision, protection, and presence for God's glory, out of love for Jesus and love for this people. They are godly men, and it's my joy to introduce you to them this morning. Let me pray as Michael and Kevin make their way up. Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, that you lead us so well. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep, that you're tender in our wounds, that you're careful with your rebuke, that you are present in our sorrow and our celebration. We love you. 
I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the way that you've gone before us to prepare a way to protect us. I thank you for Michael. I thank you for Kevin. I thank you for men who I can attest are running a race with faithfulness and with courage and with joy. It is my honor, God, to invite them, along with our other elders, to join in the work of leading Citizens Church, a church you love, a church that's been purchased by your blood, purified through your cross, and held by your sovereign rule and reign at the right hand of God. We love you. Amen.